So this morning, uh, we're looking at Jeremiah 18, 1 through 12. Find the words on the screen, or you've got it with you, be in front of you, uh, before we read it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just take a moment to quiet ourselves. Take a moment to just to breathe deeply. And take a moment to turn our attention to you. Spirit, open us. Teach us. Make us. Mold us by your word. Amen. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. Let's pause there just for a minute. I don't know why my brain works this way, but it does. Um, I find myself preoccupied with the question, do you really hear the voice of God? Is that how it really went down? Because that's not my experience in life. Or is this just sort of a way, this has nothing to do with anything. I just wanted to talk about it right now. Um, Or is this kind of a way to communicate an experience that Jeremiah had? Like, did he have this intuition? Was he having these feelings, these thoughts? And he's like, there might be something here that I I need to connect with. I need to see. It's like a a seed of an idea. So maybe he felt like, I need to go down to the potter's house. And then once he was there, then it all all sort of became clear. I don't know. I kind of like to think that it happened more like that than, than actually the voice of God, uh, because I've never heard the voice of God. I've heard God speaking, I think, but not like this, not like this literally. It has nothing to do with anything, it's just how I picture it happening. So this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He's like, I get it now. I see it. I understand. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, you are in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up or planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. 
Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, look, look, I'm preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you, so turn from your evil ways, each one of you. Reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it is no use. We will continue with our own plans. We'll all follow the stubbornness of our own hearts. We'll go that far. So, a lot of times, a lot of times I, I get to spend um, a lot of time talking about cultural context and this is what's happening. This is the way people may have, we think our best guess is how people thought back then so that, so that then it, it kind of makes things come alive for us. But this is one of those things where it's like, you know what, we all get this. We all understand this. This is pretty simple. In fact, in, in some ways, I almost feel like I could just read that a few times and we could all just sit in silence and, and, uh, and think about it for a little bit and, and we could go home. And I don't have much, I don't need to say much about it because this metaphor, clay in the potter's hands, um, it's such a beautiful, rich image, isn't it? Um, but my job is to talk, so I'm going to talk. Um, so, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame it like this. If, if, if we read the Bible long enough, and if we look closely enough, uh, there are certain themes and patterns that continuously come up time and time again. It's almost as if a lot of the little stories, like this one from Jeremiah, and a lot of the stories we find in the Gospels, uh, they, they just wind up being like little microcosms of the great big grand story that we find in the Scriptures. And one of the themes that we see, one of the patterns that we see come up time and time again, uh, it, it forms the heart of what we might think of as the Gospel or the good news. Um, and I'll get to that theme in a second. I want to explain it this way. This book... And you've heard me talk about this before. This book begins in a garden, and it ends in a garden, right? We all know the, the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve are there, two perfect little images of God walking around in, a, in, in the garden in perfect relationship with God, and everything is good and right and beautiful, and we think of it as a paradise, and everything is as it should be until the forbidden fruit is taken, and, and eaten. And this thing the Bible calls sin enters into the world. Into the world. It's like a, a rupture. Things are now not the way they're supposed to be between humanity and God, and it's just not the way things are, things are meant to be. And then from that point on, that happens in Genesis chapter 3. From that point on, from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 22, the Bible, the Scriptures sort of reveal what God is up to. And what God is up to is taking that which is wrong in the world and making it right again. Taking that which is broken in the world and making it whole again. From garden to not what it's supposed to be, back to garden again. Because if you go to the end in Revelation 22, you see what's pictured as a, a, a city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And heaven and earth sort of collide and they become one big, great, grand city. But if you read it and you look at it, it's not just a city, it's actually a garden 
city. So we go from garden to eh, back to garden again. Here's what it says in Revelation 22. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Down the middle of the street. A river. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So from garden to not what it's supposed to be, back to garden again. In other words, one of the great themes that we find in the Scriptures that, seems, that I think seems to form the heart of, of the Gospel, the good news, is this. Change. Metamorphosis. Right? Or transformation. One of the great themes of the Bible. The pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Change. Transformation. At the heart of the great, big, grand story of Scripture. That shouldn't surprise us either. Because change, transformation, seems to be at the heart of all of the really great stories that we know and love. If you really think about it, Change and transformation is at the heart of all of the greatest stories that we know. Just think for a moment about your favorite TV shows. Just think for a moment. Think for a moment about, or, or like the movies that you like to go back to again and again and again and watch. It's likely that change and transformation is at the very heart of those stories. Renee and I recently watched a new show on Apple TV Plus uh, called Shrinking. Has anyone heard of this show? Anyone seen this show? Oh my goodness. Disclaimer, not safe for kids. Language, some of the scenes, not safe for kids. But this show is it's one of the plus it has Harrison Ford in it. And Harrison Ford, like you think he's good as Han Solo? You think he's good as Indiana Jones? Nah, man. This is his best acting ever. So if you're a Harrison Ford fan, watch the show because he's out of this world amazing awesome in it. Anyway, the show is deep. It's powerful. It's good and beautiful. And I'm boring Kristen, so she's leaving. (laughs) Sorry. I've never shamed somebody for getting up in the morning. Anyway, the show, Shrinking, uh, it, follows, it follows Jimmy, a therapist, and his daughter, Alice, as they try to navigate life after losing his wife and her mother. And like I said, it's deep, it's powerful, it's super emotional, right? Throughout the first season, you sort of, they're going to do another season, but throughout the first season, uh, you watch as, as Jimmy and Alice undergo deep, profound change. And you watch their relationship as father and daughter change as they experience transformation and healing. And it is so powerful, but it's not just about Alice and Jimmy. They're like six main characters 
in the show, and all of them are struggling in life with one thing or another, and you watch each and every one of these characters experience change. They experience transformation. It's just, it's one of the most beautiful shows that I've seen in a really long time. And I think that the reason we love shows like this so much, I think maybe I'm just giving you my stuff. Maybe this is just me. It resonates with me in this way. I don't know. But one of the reasons I think, we mean we have a shared humanity here. I think one of the reasons why it resonates with us so much is because is because we all have this longing to experience change. We all have this longing to experience transformation. Like, we all have this feeling inside of us that things aren't quite the way we want them to be or maybe should be. And so we have this longing for healing, this longing for transformation, change, transformation. It's also at the heart of these words that Jeremiah gives us. Jeremiah the prophet. Now, during the time of Jeremiah, the people of Israel were sort of on a, on a, on a dangerous path of injustice and idolatry is the way that the Bible talks about it. In other words, generally speaking, they were making a real mess of things. Things weren't good for them. It was obvious to Jeremiah that they were on a collision course for exile and judgment. And it became obvious to him because God told him so. Again, did God hear the word of the Lord or was it just an intuition that was inside of him? And he's like, oh, this is exactly where we are headed. But then God invited him to go down to the potter's house and just take a look at what was going on there. And once Jeremiah saw what the potter was doing, he heard the word of the Lord again, and he began to see that even though judgment and exile may come, a little divine creativity might bring about something new, different, better even. Listen to Jeremiah. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. Picture it in your mind. The pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. So the potter didn't, didn't give up when the first pot was messed up. Instead, through creative genius, he worked into something, he worked it into something better, useful, good. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah as he describes it. Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter. So you are in my hand, Israel. And then in the next few verses, God makes it very clear that God can just smash it if God wants to, but that what God would rather do is to transform it into something good, better more useful, perhaps more beautiful. But the key to it all, the key to it all is this thing called repentance. Like what happens to the pot depends on its willingness to change, depends on its willingness maybe to be 
changed. God essentially says, if I announce that a nation is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and that nation repents, then I'll relent and not inflict on on it the disaster I had planned. Right? In the end of verse 11, so turn from your evil ways. Each one of you, reform your ways and your actions. Repentance, turning. If we make a move away from the things that hurt, destroy, and divide, and we turn towards the divine, turn towards God, God's willing to rework us into something creative, refreshing, something new, good, maybe even beautiful. Repent is the word. Now, I don't know about you, but that word has dirt on it for me. Like, I don't like it. Like, it's been rolled around in the mud. Right? Like, repent. Because when I hear that word repent, what immediately comes to mind for me are weird dudes in New York City. I don't know why New York. I've never been there. With these big signs that say turn or burn. Right? Repent or die. Right? So this word sort of has, has dirt on it. It's the best way I can describe it. It just doesn't feel good to me. But I think it's a good word. I think it's a great word. I think it's a, a necessary word that maybe we, need to, maybe we need to wipe off and clean up a little bit and, and claim as our own. Right? And here's the deal. Normally when we hear this call to repentance, this call to to turn our lives toward God, I think we hear it from, from a couple of different places. Right? And one of those places is from the place of independence. Like we're all grown up now. Most of us in this room, we're all grown up now. We're, we're full-grown adults. We have freedom. We have independence. We have autonomy. And we like it. We do what we want. And we do it when we want to do do it. We control our own lives. We make our own decisions, right? And it feels good. And it's into that place that I think, I think Jeremiah gives us a, a helpful reminder here. And no matter how independent we think we are, no matter how autonomous we think we are, no matter how on top of it we think we are, at least how on top of we make sure everybody else thinks we are, no matter how in control we think we are, we're still clay. We're still clay. We're being worked, molded, shaped, stretched by, our, by, by the hands of someone outside of our existence. Like freedom and independence, at least in the way that we conceive of them, maybe we need to see through these illusions if we're going to take on the creative life that God has in store for each one of us. In the other place, I think we tend to hear this call for repentance to turn our lives toward God is from the place of, of uselessness. We can feel empty. We can feel dirty. We can feel cracked. We can feel like we have holes. We feel marred is the word that Jeremiah uses. Like a pot that, that can't store anything anymore. A pot that, 
that serves no purpose. And it's into that place that, that I think Jeremiah gives us another helpful reminder that no matter how empty or dirty or marred or cracked we really are, we're God's clay. Still, God's clay, and God wants to rework us. He wants to mold us. God wants to change us into something new, better, useful, good, beautiful even. But the first movement is, is repentance. Actually, God makes the first move. If we're really paying attention, God always makes the first move. God invites us to repent, to turn towards the divine. Issues an invitation to turn our lives toward the divine. So our move is really the second move, repentance. But it's a tough one. Just be honest about it. Verse 12. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of our own hearts. That's, that's the cynical view right there. It doesn't matter. It's not going to help. Why would I do anything? We're just, nothing's going to change. It's just going to keep going the way it's going. The world will continue to do what the world does, and I can't influence anything. My life is just going to keep going the way it is, and it can't change. Repentance is hard. Hard because it's change. And we human beings are notoriously difficult when it comes to change. We resist it all the time. Because we don't want to leave, we don't want to leave a part of ourselves. We don't want to die to one way of living in order to enter into another new, maybe even better life. Think of it. Because it feels comfortable where we are. It's routine. We know it, and routine feels good. If we repent, so here's just a couple of things off the top of my head as I was putting this together. If we repent from a life of, it's hard to repent from a life of gossip. It's hard. Right? Because it feeds our ego to be in a position of power, to be in control of this scandalous bit of information, and we can let it out if we want to. And that, that feels good to be in control. It sort of boosts our self-esteem. Right? Another thing recently I've become more aware of because I listen to sports radio is like they're constantly telling me to download the apps and, and start betting on games and sporting events constantly. I know because of who I am and my personality that I will never do that because I will get myself into big trouble. And it does. It's hard to turn away because you get this adrenaline rush from making a bet and going after cash. It's hard to change your mind about things even when the, the mountain of evidence just gets bigger and higher and higher, telling us that, you know what, maybe we're wrong about this. Take, for instance, what happened yesterday. Is it eight people are, are dead. Another mass shooting, right? We've been told that more guns will protect us and make us safer, but the numbers are, no, they're going the opposite way. On Twitter this morning, I saw a report, I read an article about how in Texas, gun sales are skyrocketing, and the gun, the gun violence has gone from 2011 to 
2023, it's increased 90%. Like, that's incredible. Maybe we've been wrong about that. Maybe we need to change our mind about that, but it's hard to change our minds. We could go on and on about all the things. And as much as we want to change things about our life together, about ourselves, we don't want to because it feels like we're leaving a part of ourselves behind and maybe we've been wrong about some things and it's hard to admit that. It's hard, but we don't. We don't do it. We don't because we don't want to. That's just it. We don't feel like it, so why do it? Each of us will follow the stubbornness of our own hearts. We just don't. There's another reason why it's hard. I think, I think it's because we're afraid. Repentance is hard because we're afraid. Be honest. Vulnerability is a scary deal. To turn around and go in a new direction. That's what repent means. The heavy thing. After traveling in one direction for weeks, months, years, it can be scary, disorienting to turn around and travel in a new direction. We fear what's ahead. Think to ourselves, am I really going to like live in a life of simplicity when my whole life has been about accumulating stuff? Will I really get the same adrenaline rush from serving people that I get when I place a bet, go after that bag of cash? Become afraid of the unknown. Makes it difficult to change. We hear God inviting us. We hear it. Maybe we don't hear it, but we have that intuition. But we're afraid. Pot. He was shaping in his hands from the clay. It was marred. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as best seemed best. So, pretty simple. If you haven't heard the invitation yet, hear it now. Turn. Turn around. Turn towards God. If, if you've been listening, really, really listening, then I have to trust that the Spirit's already been speaking to you. That you already know. You know where your cracks are. You know where some holes are. You know you are clay. But you're God's clay. Your life belongs to God. And I believe that God wants to mold you and me and us together into something new. Good, useful, beautiful. So turn, turn around. Take one small step. Invite somebody into it with you. You're surrounded by people who love you, care for you. So turn, take one step. Let your life story become a little microcosm of the great, big, grand story that we find 
in the Bible, from garden to not the way it's supposed to be, back to garden again. Fruitful, life-giving. Let's pray.